All right, so we're back. Welcome to another episode of Spam, Spam, Spam Humbug. Uh, this is episode 11, and yay, it's not just me this time. This should make everyone really, really happy. Um, although the last episode did get a pretty decent response, if I do say so myself, um, which is good for something that was completely off the cuff. Anyways, quick round table. It's the two of us tonight. Um, I'm with Stan the Fury Dragon, of course. The Ultima Codex is my baby. And joining me tonight, we have... Linguistic Dragon. I am the author of the Ultima Journeys blog. Awesome. So, uh, before we get into tonight's topic, a couple of things. Changing up the order of events a little bit. um, Especially because this week, the Ultima Codex actually does have a couple of new supporters on Patreon. So I wanted to, yes, this is a good thing. Um, So I I wanted to actually bump this up uh, in precedence, put the new patrons and the shout outs now just right out in front. So um, Pascal and Coden KM or Coden KM, I've never actually confirmed how that's supposed to be pronounced. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Thank you. Thank you to the both of you for, for helping keep the site running. Uh, the other thing that uh, I wanted to mention just briefly, a little bit of follow-up from the previous episode, of course, I, I finally got around to talking about um, Mass Effect 4. And then today, uh, E3, uh, of course, opening day of E3, or, well, I guess, anyways, whatever, it's like, e three's this week. And, uh, of course, most of the major studios, publishers, had their presentations today. Um, Bethesda, I guess, were there for the first time. And, of course, they announced, uh, well, they showed off more of Fallout 4. We already knew that was happening. But there was a new Doom game, um, a Fallout mobile game, um, an Elder Scrolls Hearthstone-type game, a couple of other things. Um... And then, of course, Sony announcing uh, a whole bunch of cool stuff, including a uh, remake with a modern engine of Final Fantasy VII. EA, take note, okay? It's really, really awesome when you take much-beloved RPG franchises of yesterdecade and remake them, either for mobile or using a modern engine but you know otherwise striving to maximally recapture the uh the experience of the original game just saying word to the wise it's more than final fantasy that you might be able to capture in this market we'll leave it at that (laughs) yeah i'm just gonna stand over here and point okay but uh what was i talking about last week um well i in addition to, you know, briefly mentioning Ultima 6, and we should do an episode about that uh, a little later, but uh, not tonight. <laughs> One thing, though, I did mention was Mass Effect 4. Finally got around to talking about some rumors, actually, about what that uh, what that game was supposed to be about, um, based on, I guess, uh, a survey that was sent out, and then, you know, one of the people who took the survey leaked it onto Reddit. Uh, and that seems to now be proving essentially, if not entirely true, um, Mass Effect Andromeda, as it's apparently officially known, was revealed today. And it's, uh, 
The fourth entry in the Mass Effect series is being built with the Frostbite engine. It's um, set in a completely different galaxy, evidently the Andromeda galaxy. Uh, I think the Helios cluster was briefly mentioned, or was mentioned in the survey, so that may have changed. But it would seem to be the case that you know you are set in uh, a different galaxy entirely. Uh, so the game is going to be focused very heavily on exploration, probably on resource gathering too. Although within the trailer they did tease the existence of some sort of other race or species or possibly even galaxy-spanning empire. I mean, it was like a brief glimpse. Um, have you? Have you? Did you have a chance to check out the trailer, linguistic? I have not yet. Ah, okay, it's on the front page of the Codex. The soundtrack choice is hilarious and inspired I'd actually be curious to know who picked that one oh, I know what I'll be doing after this <laughs> indeed um, okay so the other thing uh, just a little bit of quick follow up Stirring Dragon uh, had some remarks that he made after um, the last podcast and I won't go too deeply into all of them it's in a comment on the codex for anyone who cares to, to, to read through it and I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes but one thing he did or a couple of things he did mention um, <clears throat> he suggested and I think this is actually a good idea that you know um, because it is important well I mean I think it's important <laughs> to to have you know the help and support of the community uh, via things like patreon um also i mean by all means if you do want to support the codex but you don't want to play the patreon game buy stuff at gog use one of the links in the sidebar to get to gog and then buy stuff at gog um but um his thought was that you know why not just offer the early podcast access uh, as a reward to anyone who donates to Patreon, uh, even if it's just at the $1 a month level. And really, I can't actually... <laughs> it's, it's, it's not really, you know... There, there's no real counter-argument to that. I, I think he's actually quite right. I mean, obviously, I appreciate it if people are able to contribute more, but I think starting uh, with this episode, I'm going to <clears throat> make the episodes um, accessible to anyone who chips in at all um well at least a buck i don't think patreon actually gives me the ability to say you know i, I think the minimum is is a dollar that i'm allowed to select in this little drop down that it gives me in the posting interface you know it's not like you can i don't even know if you can donate 50 cents to a patreon campaign <laughs> but uh although now that I think about it, um, if I look on the sidebar, do I see... Yes, I do. You see, like, it says 92.00 per month. So uh, it's really cool that the number is actually uh, that high. We've almost hit milestone one, uh, which is actually just the break-even point for the Codex's current monthly hosting costs. Um, but... So at least by how they present the site, it would imply that you can chip in, you know, a cent if you want. Um, but then when I go to actually post something, uh, I can, you know, tie the uh, accessibility of the post to a particular pledge level, and I can't select anything smaller than a dollar. So, anyway, um, that was one thing he did suggest. Um, he did have another suggestion, which 
<sighs> I, I want to discuss it just briefly. Um, and you know, my reply is there on, on the codex and this is not something I'll be doing, but he, he pitched the suggestion of, you know, creating a, a Patreon tier for covering, um, game studio projects, you know, essentially that, uh, if a company were interested in having the codex cover, um, their project extensively, you know, chip in on Patreon and be done with it. And then by all means, we'll open the floodgates for coverage. Uh, my thoughts on that is that, you know, I'm, <laughs> it's not really, I don't actually think that, you know, paid advertising for spiritual or actual Ultima successors is really in line with the site's mandate. I mean, at the end of the day, um, and it's certainly not where my own heart is at. Um, and to my mind, that's kind of what this amounts to. I mean, don't get me wrong. It would certainly be nice if the studios chipped in, you know, if they felt that, uh, the coverage here brought some value. Um, <clears throat> Uh, but equally, I don't think it's a thing I could ever ask of them. Um, my aim ultimately is, you know, I report Ultima and Ultima related news. I feel obligated to cover things like Shroud of the Avatar and other games that have been similarly crowdfunded simply on that basis alone, on the basis of the fact that these are spiritual or, you know, hopefully one day actual Ultima successors. Um, I, I think I'd wind up hating myself if I limited the coverage of things like that based on whether or not um, I, w I was getting a little something on the side for it. So, but anyways, um, you know, otherwise, <laughs> again, that's my own personal reservations. It was a good suggestion, certainly, but uh, I don't think it's something we'll be doing. But certainly on the on the Patreon side and access to the early uh, release of the podcast... We're, we're going to be going that route, starting with this episode. All right. So, speaking of which, what are we talking about this episode? <laughs> well, uh, as they say, it's dangerous to go alone, as we all know. Companions versus Henchmen, from tabletop pen and paper RPGs to the sprawling worlds of CRPGs, adventurers who have set forth in these worlds have been accompanied by companions and henchmen, at least in the majority of, uh, of such games as these. The lone hero is not unheard of. I mean, even my much-beloved Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning features a player character who actually does spend most of the duration of the plot unaccompanied by any hangers-on or fellow travelers, but even in Reckoning, even at certain pivotal points of its plot, um, there's sometimes an NPC following or leading the character into danger and fighting alongside when battle is joined. So, and, uh, <clears throat> so obviously this is a thing. I mean, we, but it seems to me that there are different kinds of companions that are a different followers, I guess. I'm going to, I shouldn't confuse terms. It seems to me there are different kinds of followers that player characters can um, accrue in CRPGs. And we use terms like henchman and companion um, to describe what could be different categories of followers. 
Although I suppose one question to ask in all of this is, you know, is there a meaningful difference between these categories of followers? What constitutes a henchman and what constitutes a companion? So is the distinction meaningful? Well, speaking, well, really what this is, is a question of semantics. Um, Why do you use one term over another term? And what do both terms bring up in the mind of you know, whoever's using it. Um, so I think in part, it kind of depends on who you're asking, really. But um, to my mind, there is a very, a very stark distinction between what I would consider a companion and a henchman. Because to my mind, a companion is treated more like an equal. There's, there's depth to them. To them. I can't talk again tonight. Um, but henchmen to me sparks more of an underling, something something beneath you, something that's functional more than more than um, actually meaningful. I see companions as as followers that you keep around, not necessarily just for their function, what role they can play in the party, their class, their you know racial abilities. It's it's something that you keep around for it's, it's a follower that you keep around for some reason other than what they can give purely from a mechanical standpoint whereas henchmen i just see as pure function and utility yeah my own thoughts i think run to uh in much the same direction i mean obviously you know this being an ultima fan site um, first and foremost, we have the example of the the eight companions, the canonical companions of the Avatar, and we'll talk a little bit about them uh, a little more <clears throat> shortly. But I mean, you can think of it in you know other games, Mass Effect, right? We just mentioned Mass Effect, and uh, <laughs> there's <laughs> one blog on Tumblr that I follow, which uh, is basically called the uh, the Garrus Dating Simulator. <clears throat> Uh, and basically all it is is just this big running gag of posts about um, Femshep dating Garrus Vicarian, who is actually <laughs> one of the more memorable companions in Mass Effect, arguably, uh, and 2 and 3. Um, but, you know, like the, the blog author or authoress, I don't know, um, <clears throat> posts screenshots of, you know, like the Mass Effect game icons. And under the first one, the, the title has been changed to why can't I date Garrus? <laughs> the second one is, <laughs> um, finally I can date Garrus. And then the third one is dating Garrus, but a tragedy or something like that. I don't know. Just, <clears throat> but you know, I, that's a good example too, right? Because, you know, you talk about, um, you know, a henchman is being something purely utilitarian. Oh, I need a, uh, I need someone to soak up arrows or dragon fire while I run this dungeon, um, versus a companion who, you know, yeah, at some level, this is a character within the game that serves more than just a merely utilitarian function by their presence. You know, there's this, uh, there's more depth to them. There's a bit of an emotional connection that exists or sometimes a very extreme emotional connection in the case of some Bioware games <laughs> and some people I've known who follow them. Yeah, same here. Um, but, uh, but I think the distinction is indeed there. Uh, companions, 
far from just, you know, being, uh, you know, what do you need me to do? Like they're there to, um, <clears throat> provide depth to, in a way, they're also there to provide depth to the world, right? You know, I mean, mm -hmm. the, the ultimate companions do this exceptionally well because, you know, you get the feeling that they continue to live in Britannia and they really help kind of give some color commentary to Britannia. Um, but they're also very constant between the games. So, you know, they kind of um, help anchor the sense of the passage of time. You know, because the rest of Britannia is completely different, but Yolo's only a few years older and Shamino's only just starting to gray and Dupre looks a little more stately. Um, <clears throat> things like that. Centuries may have passed, but these guys have barely changed at all. Um in Mass Effect. Yeah, I suppose that's that's another distinction to my mind is, well, I mentioned that I view henchmen as mostly utility from a mechanics standpoint, um, function for the gameplay and that sort of thing. Whereas a companion could arguably be the um, be regarded more as narrative utility as a method of you know expanding the game world, giving you someone you can actually relate to um you know making it more tangible rather than simply just um another way of whacking down the bad guys exactly and it's a pass it, it can be a passive or an active thing i mean it's it's much more of a passive thing i think with the uh ultima companions right because you know they're there and we care very much at least in the earlier <clears throat> ultimas yeah. yeah at least in the earlier ultimas i mean yes by the time we get to the point of dupre throwing himself into uh the incinerator there the, the crematorium um, like that's you know definitely there's emotional engagement there and that's a very tragic moment <coughs> but um, <clears throat> they do also like I say they serve to anchor um, the sense of the passage of time they're kind of just this constant bit of familiarity that you keep coming back to even as Britannia changes around you uh, and they also tend to be the source of information as to what has changed in Britannia a, a lot of the time were uh, versus you know companions in stuff like the Dragon Ages the Mass Effects and what have you <clears throat> where um, you can very literally relate to them as it were um, <laughs> or possibly right and they also do serve you know a more explicit narrative purpose um, in the sense that you know they uh, come with their own bundle of quests and issues that need to be or can be resolved during the course of the game um, sometimes with consequences if you do or don't or do it the wrong way so they take a lot of a lot of them in in the Mass Effects and the and the Dragon Ages and the like. They take they take the larger scale events happening in the background and they narrow it down to one person's experience of them. So it makes the background of the game a bit more relatable because you see it through the eyes of one single companion that's actually had to live through part of it. Yes, that's true too. <clears throat> and actually we see that in um now, of course, uh, again, we'll come back to Ultimate a little bit, but in things like um, the Dragon Ages and the Mass Effects, there's really no... There's only companions. Right. You know, there's... <laughs> everybody you can recruit gives you a reason to care about them. You might hate them. 
Uh, I don't know. I personally enjoy having Ashley in the party, but I understand that for a lot of Tumblr, she's kind of reviled. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, like, whoever they are, you, you the game always gives you a reason to care about them. Even the, the ones that are mostly unsympathetic, there's always something about them. Um, they're human. Yes, they are. They're very, they're, they're exceptionally well written. And yes, they're human. Turian, Krogan, whatever. Human in quotes. Yeah, human. human. Listen to yourselves. Human rights. The very term is racist. I was watching Star Trek VI the other night. Uh, <laughs> that would explain it. There we go. <clears throat> but, um, of course, some other games take a, uh, a different approach. Divinity Original Sin for example, uh, actually includes both categories of followers. There's um, there's companions such as uh, Medora and Jahan, and I'm not even trying the bear, the whatever, the ranger, and Wolgruff. Um, so you have like four different um, characters in the game who are, you know, more companions and, you know, their stories, their backstories are a little bit more fleshed out and they have associated quests, which, you know, explore their character in more detail. <clears throat> but there's also henchmen, uh, at the hall at the end of time, uh, or sorry, you can, sorry, at the end of time in the hall of heroes, it's like they're trying so hard not to make a Douglas Adams reference, and it's just... <laughs> but, any... <laughs> but anyways, uh, henchmen are available there. And uh, the henchmen, there's really not too much special about them. They're just kind of throwaway characters. They're level, um, <clears throat> they're level locked, so they can only ever be at most one level above what the main character is at. But uh, yeah... So, you know, here's a game that uh, gives you uh, both. And you can have, you know, you can adventure just with the companions. The party is a fixed size. Uh, I believe it's uh, four. And, of course, two of those will be the two player-controlled characters. Um, and then, you know, the other two can be companions or a companion and a henchman or just arrow sinks, whatever, you know. Um, and arguably, you, you made this note here, uh, linguistic. Uh, Pillars of Eternity makes a similar distinction. There's recruitable NPCs with very elaborate backstories um, throughout the course of the game. But you can also build up an entire body of party members and then encounter them as hirelings, albeit ones without any serious conversational depth or quest lines, uh, at taverns around the game world. Right. There's there's eight recruitable NPCs that are extremely well written with their own, you know, quests and backstories and everything. Um, and at the same time, there's 11 classes. There's three classes that aren't represented by uh, the companions in game. So if you want a barbarian, a rogue, or a monk in your party, you've got to find a hireling. And the hirelings basically are adventurers, I believe they call them in the game. Um, you can hire them in any tavern, and you basically build them from the ground up. So it's it gives you the opportunity of either building your party from characters in the game, or just building your entire party from scratch right at the start. Well, not quite at the start, but 
close yeah, enough. Yeah, soon enough. <laughs> yeah. There is that little bit of intro. <clears throat> but yeah, you get you get uh, you get a bit of a blend there as well. Um, I never really played much with the uh, with the um, adventurers myself because I tend to prefer companions. But uh, the options there if you need it. Yeah, and that's. Uh, <clears throat> Gosh, I'm thinking now back to you know. <clears throat> I, I'm still not far enough into pillars to really uh, comment too too much, <laughs> but I'm actually all of a sudden I started thinking for whatever reason about Wizardry Seven. <clears throat> oh my! And you know the the challenge of you, you had six characters and you had to roll them all right. There were some pre-built characters that you could use, like the developers supplied. But if you wanted to, you could roll an entire party. I'm thinking Icewind Dale along those lines. Yeah. But then, <clears throat> the best part of Wizardry 7 was, well, the best and worst part of Wizardry 7 was, because you get yourself into a whole heap of trouble if you did this wrong. <clears throat> but you could start characters out, and you could build them up, build them up, build them up, and then at level 10, you could respec them. <clears throat> so, you know... Um, like all of a sudden, like if you if you started like a mage, then all of a sudden you could respec him as a bishop, and then he would have a mage spellbook and a cleric spellbook. So it was kind of this dual purpose thing. The problem is it kicked him back to level one. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> um. So oh, yeah, all of a sudden, get into a mess real easily yeah, that it's, way. It's really a glass cannon philosophy of respecing, right? Because I mean, if you can, as long as you don't respec your entire party. <laughs> uh, you can keep adventuring and you can probably protect this one character that you respect or maybe even two that you respect enough to really um, you know they'll, they'll level up again very quickly because of course you're still taking on the higher level monsters and you're you know going on um, but you know if you get into a fight that's a little bit too much for you to handle now um, <clears throat> they die quickly they die very quickly so, you know, but it was an interesting uh, thing that, you know, if nothing else, it was a way to, because, I mean, you only had six characters and the game had way more than six character classes. So it was a way that you actually did get to explore a larger selection of the classes uh, as right. you played through the game. <clears throat> the alternative, of course, would be to play the game through multiple times, but Wizardry 7 is a damn long game. Yeah. <laughs> that may not be feasible. <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> And there, you know, there it's, uh, I, there, I mean, broadly, I think you'd kind of, well, you know what, games like that, though, that's kind of a different scenario again, right? Because they're all the player character. All six of them are the player characters. So they're, you know, they're not just henchmen. They're not just companions. They're all you. And so, you know, even though there's no depth to them and there's no inter-party banter or anything like that, um, <clears throat> You still wind up caring more about them than just, you know, this arrow sink that I picked up at the tavern back there. I think. Maybe. Yeah, I think, I think some of it is dependent on both the way the game is intended to be played and the individual player's approach to it. Like, um, if, all, if all you're focused on is, is min-maxing, you know, getting the most bang for your buck, you could argue that companions and and henchmen are basically interchangeable terms because you're looking at both solely in terms of 
what's going to give you the most use in in your party. Um, I mean, I have seen so many walkthroughs that requ- that suggest um, using as many mages and bards as possible in Ultima Five for the maximum magic casting capability because fighters don't have any. And yet, when I play through it myself, I I inevitably kept Shamano and Dupre in my party because it doesn't feel right to me to go through an Ultima game without having Yolo, Shamano, and Dupre in my party. So. It really depends on how you choose to approach the game, too, I think. Yeah, I think you're probably right there in that. uh, I mean, well, okay. (laughs) When I first um, played Ultima 6, and keep in mind I was single digits at the time. um, (laughs) I was this many. But what would I have been? 90? I would have been 8, maybe 9, depending. But, um, you know, um, it was really cool that I could control this one character. You know, I I figured out pretty quickly which one was mine that I was controlling on the screen. Um, Bell M, of course, had just been recruited and then, uh, he walked, I walked through a swamp and my grandpa had kitted everybody else in the party out with boots, Swamp boots, swamp boots. Um, but he hadn't kitted Belem out yet, so Belem got poisoned and died because I didn't know what was happening. So yeah, that guy's exploding every few steps. <laughs> What's that all about? That's kind of funny. I'm going to see how long that can go for. I wonder if all gar- gargoyles do that. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right? Um, so, you know, yeah, I guess, you know... it it is partly in how you approach the game and certainly approaching it at age nine, I was more amused by the fact that he was exploding every few steps <laughs> than that. Uh, oh, Hey, one of my followers is uh, gravely ill and probably needs some kind of healing or a red potion or something. Medical so, attention. Yeah. Yeah. Or what passes for it in ye oldie Britannia. <laughs> but, uh, tell you, there are days I wish I could have a red potion. My goodness. No, and quick kidding. sip and cure all your ailments. Hey, I'm down. I'm down with this. Ah, there we go. I feel better. Uh, is it the orange or the blue potion that puts you to sleep? Could use one of those too. The blue, I believe. Actually, no. The orange potion would be good too, right? Because then you know, so I'll have a little sip of blue in the evening, and then I'll wake up to a nice sip of orange. Ah, ready to face the anymore. day. Exactly. <laughs> The orange potion is just pure caffeine. Like you can't actually drink a whole <laughs> bottle or you'll die. <laughs> and now we know how potions are made in Britannia. There we go. But, uh, okay, so that's a little bit of a tangent. Let's come back. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, you're right. It is It is uh, largely in how you approach it. Um, and I think Ultima actually kind of presents us this... Uh, you know, and, and I, the comment about Belem kind of plays into this too, because of course, you know, obviously, yeah, if we didn't talk about the, uh, at least the eight canonical companions of the Avatar, um, well, this would be a really poorly done podcast by Ultima fans. Um, <clears throat> but it's worth noting that, you know, it's not just the canonical companions, right? There's other NPCs that can, in different Ultima games, be recruited to aid the Avatar in serving Britannia. 
But I wonder if we don't see a bit of a, a henchman companion distinction at work in those. I mean, um, is Yana a companion versus Leodon being a henchman? Or is Leodon a companion to the same level that Yana is? Um, <clears throat> you know, because I mean, it's not like... Well, okay, you can't actually recruit all of the eight in Ultima 6. Um, Jeffrey and Mariah notably can't be recruited. <clears throat> but in essence, you know, you can recruit six of the eight. Um, three you have no choice but to have follow you around, in fact. <clears throat> but there are other characters. There's Leodon and Leona. I think this is Blaine. Um, Belem, of course. You know, <clears throat> now Belem is critical to the plot. He he certainly is. If you don't have him, then the gargoyles will merrily attack you, and that's just how it goes. <clears throat> but you know, are are people like Blaine, who you know, he I mean he does converse. You know, he does have a story to him. Leodon the same, Leona the same. Are these people? Are, are these secondary followers? Are they more like henchmen? Um, to Saramid. Ceramid, I always put the T in front of it because I was like 11 at the time. Um, spark, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Do, do we make a distinction there or are these all companions? Well, that's really the question there, isn't it? I mean, I think a lot of it, at least to me, goes to why you have them in the party in the first place. Um, like, I'm currently going through Ultima 6 myself, and I have both Blaine and Segalian in my party, both more for their stories than I do for their stats or, or um, you know, what they can do for my party. Um, and so in that sense, I tend to consider them more companions rather than henchmen, because I'm not looking at them solely from a, from a utility perspective. Um... Whereas someone like, someone like, well, first thing that came to my mind was Sherry the Mouse, because mm. um, she's pretty much designed to be utility. She's meant to be in your party long enough to grab the Rune of Valor, and, and though some people do keep her in the party for long after that, just for the amusement factor of having a mouse smack down gargoyles and demons and all of that, um, but every time you talk to her, she asks, you know, first thing she yeah, says when you is, say is bye. Time for me to leave. Yeah. She's she's pretty much designed to be in the party long enough to grab the rune and then leave. So yeah. so in that sense I I'd, I'd be more inclined to call her a henchman more than a proper companion. Yeah, I'll give you that one for sure. Um <clears throat> I mean as fun as it is to have the mouse completely kitted out with plate mail and halberd. <laughs> um <clears throat> just go full red wall there, you know, but uh <laughs> You never go full red wall. Um, we'll go Narnia. Yeah. She'll, she'll turn into Reaper Chief. Oh yeah, there you go. Oh yeah. Oh, but there's no cutlasses. You know, there's no there's no sabers in Ultima uh, Six. It's just the good old broadsword. But yeah, pointy. <clears throat> That's true. But yeah, she definitely is designed to leave the party because she's yeah constant. Oh, do you want me to go home now? Oh, good, I can go read my stories again. You know, she even takes being dismissed very very well. Yes, she does. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, she's definitely I think probably more in the in the henchman category or just the general you know category of 
useful oddity. <laughs> hey, there's a mouse in my party that I guess I need to go get this thing over here. Like, what? <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah, versus... But, you know, I mean, in a certain... I almost wonder, though, because, I mean, like, Belem does have more of a story to him, right? Like, he definitely has a, a bit of depth as a character, but mm -hmm. <clears throat> really, I mean, you can approach him in a fairly utilitarian way, too. Because, you know, all you need is to have him in the party. If you never talk to him again, um, at least the gargoyles aren't attacking you, right? Yeah. But, <clears throat> but, uh... But I mean, you know, I, I guess we, I don't know how much we want to muddy the waters there because the same could largely be true about any of the companions, right? I mean, well, what I'm doing so, is... because yeah, you can't beat Ultima 4 without the full party. It just takes you out of the abyss if you don't have all eight companions. Well, seven, <clears throat> right. technically, but... Yeah, well, yeah. You know, and, and Ultima 6, I mean, you can't not be without Dupre, Shamino, Yolo. Um, unless they die, of course. But that's a different problem. Well, why would you ever let that happen? <clears throat> you know, I did though. Actually, I was I was doing a I was doing an oddball playthrough of Ultima Six uh, while I was in Houston. Um, just seeing how far I could get into the plot without actually talking to anyone. That, oh, that was my thing, except Lord British, because of course I need healing, right? <laughs> <clears throat> this is what reagents are uh, for. Yes, but, uh, well, it got convoluted, right? Because it's just like, okay, well, I need to get runes from people, right? Well, I don't just want to, like, kill this guy in his... Sl I don't want to kill Sel Seligner, Seligner? I don't know, whatever his name is. The, 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 the guy in my... Selgenor. Selgenor. Thank you. I don't want to kill him in his sleep, right? So that's not virtuous. Much better to, you know, wander around killing cows and any other <laughs> things I can find until I'm level 5. And then go buy the pickpocket spell. Which I also used on that little girl in Britain. Um, <clears throat> you monster! I know, right? Easy um, as taking runes from a baby? I Yeah, well, you know, what was the alternative? Killing her in her sleep? <laughs> or uh, in front of the other two bards? <laughs> I mean, I know this is an Ultima game, but I'd try not to go there. <laughs> But, um, but yeah, that got really convoluted. But there is actually a firm limit. You can free all the shrines. <clears throat> um, and I imagine, I almost never do the pirate quest, but I imagine you could do the pirate quest. Or at least find the pirate treasure. Um, of course, it helps that I have the exact location of where to dig memorized. <laughs> but <clears throat> I think you could probably find the... <clears throat> Uh, find the treasure without having to talk to anybody but that the end game stuff is where it starts to bog down in particular I found um, with the lenses um, because of course, obviously you need to go and talk to the astronomer in Moonglow to get the Britannian lens made right. but the thing is <clears throat> uh, you know I go in and talk to him and I've picked up this you know the lens from uh, maybe though well, but this would prove them because I, like I walk in, I'm just like lens, glass, gems, anything. You know, trying all these keywords, and just, he's not taking it. But I think that was because I still had the broken gargoyle lens. If I'd actually talked to the other guy and gotten it fixed, 
maybe then he would have. <clears throat> what I really wanted to see if I could do is if I could pass the game without having to submit to Draxanosum. Oh. That was, that was my ultimate experiment, and I haven't finished it yet, because since I've been back from Houston, I've barely found time. But, yeah, that was... Anyways. Wow, tangent. Okay. <laughs> um, <clears throat> anyways. This is what happens when you get more than one dragon in a room. Yeah, yeah. The entire UDIC Facebook, or, well, mostly on the Facebook page. It's very good at going tangential. That was the wear mount. Yes, I wish I had more time for that, too. But maybe there's a good Moo client for Android. I'm going to upgrade my phone here probably by, well, hopefully the end of the week. So, <sighs> all right. Um, well, I don't know. Do you have any other thoughts? <laughs> um, well, one thing that came to mind was was going by the definition of, you know, companions being something, you know, actually developed characters rather than simply something used for utility. Um, it came to yep. mind that there are some of the canonical companions that arguably are only companions in retrospect. Um, first thing that comes to mind is um, Jeffrey, because in Ultima 4, basically hmm. all you get of him is he's tall, he likes fighting, he longs for battle again. Will you, will, can I hmm. join your party? And Ultima 5, he's able to join your party again, and basically the entire depth of his conversation tree is everything that's currently happening in Britannia. So, again, mm. there's not really much substance to his character. Uh, it's only in Ultima 6 that you really get a real glimpse of him properly. Um, mm -hmm. He's been established as the captain of the guard and sends you off to Cove um, to you know, learn a bit more about the recent um, skirmish with the gargoyles. Events, yes. But, um, but up until that point, um, he's basically just flat um he's yeah <clears throat> that was something that i had actually thought about you know scribbling down uh, and then i didn't but um <clears throat> i guess it is kind of it, to my mind though it's kind of a generational thing because i mean really in ultima 4 are many of the companions particularly well fleshed out true <clears throat> you know it's but again i mean is any character in the game really, really fleshed out <laughs> to the limits of what's technically possible in that game's engine? Arguably, they are, right? But it's just a case of where you know, <clears throat> when when your fight, you know, nineteen eighty five, you know, this comes out. I mean, we weren't even having the conversation about six forty k of RAM. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was coming later. Uh, and whether it would be enough for anybody. That was later. Um, you know, so we were talking about games that <clears throat> were being run, in many cases, run off disc. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, which had to use their resources very, very sparingly. So, you know, none of the, except like the most plot-critical NPCs in these games tend to have a ton of dialogue. <laughs> Jeffrey may be a little less so than, you know, some of the other companions, but it's not like YOLO was this shining beacon of personality versus dull as a doorpost Jeffrey, right? So. Uh, and then, of course, obviously, as the games got more complex, uh, were able to support more, the characters were fleshed out more. 
So yeah, I think I think that helps a lot to to the descriptor of them as companions because you do see them so much as as the games progress, you do mm. get a better sense of them as characters. Mm-hmm. And I think that's another important point too, maybe as especially in games with series. I mean, obviously in one-offs it doesn't count, but in games with series, it's this idea that you know not only um, <clears throat> not only do the characters get more complex <clears throat> simply by virtue of technology being you know advancing as it does, uh, and thus the game being able to support more, but it's the idea that you know the companions in some ways. <clears throat> themselves grow a little bit between each game mm-hmm. obviously again bioware are excellent at this but we see it in ultima 2 right you know <clears throat> ultima 4 5 yeah not too too much there ultima 6 they really start to get fleshed out and then in ultima 7 <clears throat> they they continue to kind of develop right you know now there's this there's been an additional couple hundred years and they have more stories to tell and then of course you get to serpent isle with at least some of them and now their stories have you know wildly diverged gweno's story has you know gone off in this one crazy direction dupre's story comes to a very shattering conclusion shamino like what the heck was that yeah it's like um so you know they too like they continue to they become richer characters as the games progress with each successive title so I think that might be, you know, another indicator of, you know, companionhood. Yeah, I think, I think that goes, that goes back that, to what know, I said earlier about companions kind of have the perception of being treated as equals rather than something lesser to it. They develop as you do mm-hmm. um, in different ways, perhaps, yeah. but it's still development beyond stats going up. Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> definitely. <sighs> well... So I think we can safely conclude then that not all followers are created equal. And it would seem that there is indeed a, a, a stark difference between the uh, cutout NPC henchmen one can recruit at a local tavern in some games, barely conversational and often having little other purpose than to be dragon fodder, and the complex and more dynamic personalities of you know the followers, the companions, whose trust you often have to earn, draw you into their story, even as they become part of yours. <sighs> well then, I'm going to say let's call it for the night um, because it's a little late here. here. You know, I should probably th- think about sleep, do have a day job. So, <clears throat> always remember then, uh, if anyone in the audience would like to recommend anyone for a shout out uh, send an email to ultimacodex at gmail.com or avail yourself of the contact form on the codex proper Um, and you can also use that means to suggest podcast topics offer commentary or criticism about the episodes volunteer as a contributor even and we mentioned it once already the ultimate dragons they got a group on facebook they have a community on google plus Um, The Facebook group's easily the larger and the more lively, um, but you know what? Either one is where where people will hang out, so by all means, uh, join those if you haven't yet. There's also the UDIC hashtag on Twitter. Um, It's not well enough used yet, but, you know, maybe someday. 
And we talked about the Patreon at the start of the podcast, so I won't belabor the point. Um, Starting with this episode, the $1 pledge level gets you access to Spam, Spam, Spam Humbug. And who knows, maybe someday um, via Patreon there will be enough going on that we're able to, you know, really seriously consider and, and go ahead with expanding the server infrastructure of the Codex to better deliver all the things you come looking for thereat. Uh, linguistic, you got any parting uh, thoughts? I've said all I had in my head, so <laughs> I think I'm good. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, then, good night to all the listeners. Be virtuous.